Welcome to episode 4 of the first season of American Opioid. If you just started listening to the podcast, you'll want to start with episode 1. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. Marjorie walked to her car. It took her a few tries to slide her key into the lock. She settled into the driver's seat, started the engine, glanced over at the clock displayed on the dashboard. Holy cow. Two hours had passed? She needed to get home, get Matt. As she backed the car out of the parking spot, she thought back to the idiot she had wasted her time on, the one who was interested in her until she mentioned her son. Screw him. Anger coursed through her, and she slammed on the accelerator with her foot. There was a screeching sound as she veered off, the tires leaving skid marks in the pavement in the parking lot. She was fine. The alcohol had done nothing to impair her. Besides, home was just five short miles away, even if it was hard to tell one light apart from another. Were her headlights on? Why were there suddenly more lanes than usual? Odd. The lights were so bright. They were asking her questions, but she was not answering them. Instead, she just listened passively. She tried to look around, but was unable to move her neck for some reason. The bright lights. These were not headlights or street lights. They were fluorescent lights. She was in a room, lying on a bed, and a man in a white coat was asking her questions. What do you remember about the accident? Accident, Marjorie replied. What accident? She was driving, or at least... She had been driving. What was she doing here? It was hard for her to concentrate. The man furrowed his brow. It's common for patients to have no recollection of the accident. You were unconscious when the paramedics found you. What? Marjorie asked. Unconscious? Paramedics? Wait, I don't understand. Where am I? The man blinked. You're fully coherent now. That's good. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Just then, a nurse walked in with a cordless phone. Your neighbor, Amelia. She wants to talk to you. She says your son is with her. Matt? Suddenly, it came flooding back. She had left Matt with Amelia was driving back from the bar level up to get him, and was now here. She tried to dig into her memory, to draw out what had happened in between, but there was only a blink. Marjorie raised her hand to take the phone and saw the thin tube protruding from the inside of her elbow. 
she followed the tube with her eyes and saw that it was attached to a clear plastic blag of fluid that was hanging from a rack. An IV. She was on an IV. In a hospital. Her hand closed around the phone, and she raised it to her ear. The bottom of the phone brushed against a rigid material that was wrapped around her neck. Hello, she said into the phone. Marjorie, Amelia said. Are you all right? Um, I guess, Marjorie said. I'm trying to understand what's going on. What day is it? What day, Marjorie asked. You dropped off Matt at my place the day before yesterday. So, about a day and a half. Marjorie frowned. How did you know to reach me here? The nurse chipped in. You told us Amelia's name and contact information. Marjorie stared. I did? Yes, the nurse said. On the phone, Amelia said, They called me and told me where you were. Don't worry about Matt. I just picked him up from City Day Nursery. Last night, I came to your hospital room with him. You were asleep, but seeing you helped him feel less anxious. He kept grunting and making a bunch of signs with his hands. It was so cute to watch. We'll come again tonight. Okay, thanks, Marjorie said. Bye. She hung up. She was feeling drowsy. The doctor explained that she did not appear to have any broken bones, but that she was heavily bruised, and that she had suffered whiplash, which explained the neck brace. Some of the tendons and ligaments in your neck were heavily stressed, to the point of tearing, so it'll take some time to recover. All in all, it could have been much worse. You should consider yourself very lucky. After he left, Marjorie drifted back into sleep. A few hours later, someone came and checked her IV, waking her. After the person walked out, she tried to sit up, then gasped. A wave of intense pain shot through the back of her neck and her shoulders. She feverishly groped around for the call button. Out of the corner of her eye, she spotted it but it was just out of reach of her fingertips. She wriggled toward it, and another jolt of pain made her cry out. She shut her eyes tightly, and her lashes became moist with tears. Marjorie pushed the button, then waited. A couple of minutes passed by. Nothing. The pain was omnipresent, a low simmer that was scorching her. Her movements seemed to have awakened it. She started pressing the button again and again, breathing shallowly through clenched teeth. Finally, a male nurse walked in. Everything okay? What seems to be the problem? he asked. The pain, Marjorie croaked out. Can't take it. Too much pain. The nurse took in her contorted face, the tears freely running down each side of it into the cloth of the pillow cover. He checked the whiteboard across from her bed, where a bunch of medical jargon had been scrawled. 
Yeah, he said. Looks like the morphine wore off a little while ago. I'll get you another dose. He headed out of the room. After an agonizing wait, he returned with a small, clear, cylindrical container onto which various labels had been affixed. He fiddled with the tube sticking out of her arm while she looked away. She hated seeing stuff being injected into her. Okay, done, he finally said. In less than ten minutes, you'll start to feel warm. And then shortly after that, you'll feel high, he chuckled. Anything else you need? Um, my neighbor said she was going to visit with my son. Oh, yeah, he said. They were here briefly, but you were asleep again. Don't worry, rest up. The faster you recover, the sooner you'll be able to get back home. At first, they had Marjorie on a liquid diet to make sure she could keep something down without having it come back up. Then they moved her to solids, and she was happy to see that her appetite was returning. But she was not so happy when they cut off the morphine. I'm in a lot of pain, she murmured. The nurse handed her a pill. This is a Percocet. It will help with the pain. We can't keep patients on pure morphine for too long, in case they develop a dependence. The pill was not as good as the IV injection, but it kept the pain at bay enough that she could fall asleep. The next day, she was well-rested when Amelia came in, holding Matt. You're awake, Amelia exclaimed. She gingerly embraced Marjorie with one arm, being careful not to jostle anything, then let Matt slip down from her other arm onto the bed, on Marjorie's right side. Matt eagerly signed to Marjorie, Mommy, Mommy, Amelia gave me ice cream, chocolate. That same day, Marjorie was discharged. She signed the papers, thanked the staff, and clutched the container of precious Percocets in her hand as she walked slowly to Amelia's car. As she entered the door of her trailer park home, she glanced at the mailbox, which was full. Amelia grabbed the bundle of mail and set it down on the kitchen table inside. Matt immediately went to one of Sybil's books and opened it. Those books were a better babysitter than anything else. Holler if you need anything, hun, Amelia said as she headed out. Sure thing, Marjorie replied. Thanks, Amelia. She sat down and started organizing the envelopes. The two letters from the car insurance company were easily the most important. Her car had been totaled beyond repair, but that was okay because she was covered. The first letter from the company said her claim was processing. She opened the second letter, and her heart sank. Just then, the doorbell rang. A police officer stood on the porch. Marjorie Kane? the officer asked. Yes, she said. These items were recovered from your vehicle, the officer said, handing her a large plastic Ziploc bag. Oh, okay, thanks, she said. She closed the door, went back to the kitchen table, and set the plastic bag down to the side. 
She picked up the letter again and shook her head. Her car had crashed into a tree, so no one else was hurt. Thank God. She read further, scowling as she tried to decipher the labyrinthine language. Her blood alcohol level had been found to be above the legal limit. As a result, the company was refusing to cover anything. The plastic bag buzzed, making Marjorie jump. A searing pain shot through her neck and shoulders, and she gasped. She cursed and opened the bag, fished out her cell phone, and answered it. Hello, Miss Kane, said a voice on the other end. I'm calling to set up an appointment with your son's audiologist to discuss a cochlear implant. Marjorie glanced at the paper from the insurance company. Um, I'm actually somewhat busy at the moment. I was just in a car accident. Oh, said the receptionist. Sorry to hear that. Are you all right? I'm back from the hospital, Marjorie said, but still recovering. Okay, well, when you get better, feel free to give us a call. Marjorie glanced at her phone. How did the battery last this long? She checked the settings. 7% remaining. Made sense. That was how she felt, too. She tapped Matt, who remained fixated on the book he held in his hands. She led him to the bedroom with one hand, his other hand still holding the book. She plopped him down on the mattress, lay down next to him. As her head settled back on the pillow, another wave of pain hit her. Her neck felt like chunks of it were being torn out piece by piece. She slowed her breathing, waited for the pain to subside. But this time, it did not. The dull throbbing made it impossible to fall asleep. Marjorie used her hands to hold her head steady, then gingerly got up, trudged to the kitchen, popped a pill into her mouth, turned on the tap, washed the pill down with a handful of water. Back in the bedroom, she watched Matt turn a page, his brow furrowed in deep concentration. She had flipped through the books several times. The colors were easily distinguishable in the initial volumes. The differences became subtler as the volumes progressed, and toward the end, they all looked the same to her. With the bedroom door open, she could see the kitchen, the living room. Her home was just one room, with thin walls dividing it into subrooms. She chose to live here because she wanted to save up for something better. But the car insurance situation was the latest in a string of impediments that seemed to move her two steps backward after each step forward. After what seemed like an eternity, the pain lessened, and with the relief came a dreamy euphoria, a warm and fuzzy feeling that bore a striking similarity to what she had felt when she was still nursing Matt. It was time to go to sleep this time for real. The following month, she arrived at the hospital pharmacy at nine o'clock sharp, just as it opened. 
They gave her a refill of the pain medication, and she left. Exactly one month later, she arrived again, at nine o'clock sharp, for her refill. The pharmacist frowned when he looked up her patient record. Says here that you were supposed to have a follow-up appointment with the doctor who saw you during your ER visit? What happened? Oh, she said. Something came up. I'll need to reschedule that. Okay, he said. Make sure you do. You won't get another refill after this one unless the doctor fills out another prescription. As soon as Marjorie stepped out of the clinic, she took out her phone and scheduled the appointment. She did not realize it, but her odyssey had just begun. In the next episode of American Opioid, Marjorie finds herself in the grip of something she does not understand, but its influence on her behavior is all too real. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast.